BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back, everybody. It is the Bauer and Rose Show, the Bauer and Rose podcast, the Bauer and Rose experience right here on Sirius XM. The Patriot Channel 125, the podcast wherever you get them. We're hosted online as well by our friends at justthenews.com. Well, Gary, I, I got to start by commenting on the the pro-Israel rally Tuesday. I mean, it got, got a little out of hand. I mean, we tore down a few fences. We chucked a couple of bricks through, you know, broken windows. We defaced a couple national monuments. We threw bottles and rocks at the cops. Uh, we left our trash. We sprayed some awesome graffiti, by the way, calling for the death of all Palestinians. Um, and it was fun. It was really, it was a great time. We got rowdy, we got crazy, and we left a big mess. Whoops. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that is, what is that? That's called irony or facetiousness. Uh, there should be a knot at the end of the uh, uh, of your statement, Tom. You, you know, 290,000 people here and uh, the crime rate in DC actually plummeted with all those additional people, (laughs) 290 people, no policemen were in carjackings were down. Um, The, the American flag was not in danger of being uh, desecrated, stepped on, burned. Uh, There were no flags of terrorist groups being flown during the demonstration uh, it, it was just a remarkable thing to see, Tom, unlike virtually, well, no, unlike any left-wing demonstration I can ever think of in the history of Washington, D.C., where there is always a mess, embarrassment, people coming out saying, well, the 5,000 that rioted they really didn't represent the rest of the, none of that. In fact, to get any of that, you had to wait until the night or two nights after the march when a couple of hundred um, Palestinian sympathizers headed to the Democrat National Committee headquarters promptly caused major problems, injured six police officers as they battled with them. So more police were injured and had to get medical treatment from 250 uh, anti-Israel demonstrators than uh, police were injured with 290,000 pro-Israel demonstrators. It ought to be pretty clear what side you want to take if you're pro-civilization. It was a a very, very moving event. I, you know, you get 250 or 300,000, whatever the number of people is, bunched up in a crowd. Uh, There are liable to be you know, Kevin McCarthy style elbowing. I can't tell you how many times I heard, excuse me, I'm sorry, excuse me, excuse me, can I get through? I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Did you drop something? I was raised, Tom, is to say that anytime I bust in, you know, bump into a Jew, I was always told (laughs) to say, I'm sorry. (laughs) 
No, it was it was an extraordinary yeah. event, and I think that Kufi's presence was uh, was profound. Pastor Hagee was excellent. Uh, the only man on the program who kept to the program. I don't know what that tells you about Jews and their inability to stick to the program. You mean time-wise? Uh, time-wise, yeah. yeah. And uh-huh. that's why, and that, well, first of all, he was great, but that's why he was the best. They were given, yeah. you, know, you know how these things run. You're given very specific timelines, 90 seconds, 2 minutes, 20 seconds. He stuck to it. Nobody else did. Nobody. But that's yeah. utterly uh, an irrelevant, tangential side to this. My thought Looking at the reaction, and this is what I've always kind of believed intuitively, when you're strong and you're tough, people respect you and they're more likely to support you. After this rally, Joe Biden's rhetoric improved. He said in, where's this uh, OPEC, the, the APEC summit in San Francisco, I guess, he said after a meeting with Xi Jinping. Yeah. Israel can't stop until Hamas is no longer able to murder Israelis. I don't think that statement would have happened before this rally. When all you see in your streets are hundreds of thousands of 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 violent, vicious, vile, uh, hate filled anti-Semites. And these are and were uh, hate rallies. And Suella Braverman, the former uh, British Home Secretary was fired for making that comment after last Sunday's march in London that attracted 300,000 people and was a total disaster, that these were hate marches on Armistice Day. She was fired uh, for making that comment, which, in fact, was was absolutely true. And we know these marches aren't, quote-unquote, pro-Palestinian or pro-Muslim, because when Muslims murder Muslims by the bushel, nobody gives a damn. There aren't rallies. It's only when a Muslim is fighting a Jew that this kind of hatred comes out. And the antidote to that was on Tuesday in Washington. I wouldn't say it turned me into an optimist. After all, I'm Gary Bauer's you know, sidekick here. Can't be an optimist with Bauer. But <laughs> I felt a lot better... Uh, it, it it was just a wonderful feeling. It really was. No, and and we all should feel better by seeing that. And uh, and and it also, Tom, ought to be a reminder. Which you know, this is one of my pet uh, uh, issues or or whatever. We cannot give the streets over to the left. We cannot give the streets over to the forces of darkness. We cannot give our streets over to those whose ultimate intent. Uh, intent is to deny us the right to freely assemble, to freely speak, to freely petition. But it has been a theme of American political life uh, all the way back to the Vietnam era that the left gets to do whatever they want in the streets. They can intimidate. They can show up in the hundreds of thousands of uh, of numbers and politicians. You better listen because this is the real America. But when conservatives do that, they are labeled, they are, uh, they're, they're insulted. They're sometimes uh, brought up on various charges that are contrived. 
that those of us that believe in faith, family, and freedom, that believe in the founding documents, that believe liberty comes from God, that believes that Israel is our natural ally, we have got to have the courage to demonstrate just like the left does. And we can't be intimidated out of it. We can't, we got to stop saying, oh, we're just too busy. Take a vacation day. Take us whatever you have to do. Because it is, I think, very intentional that the left, as they continue to chip away at our liberty, does not want us to be able to get uppity and take to the streets about it. So uh, the the American Jewish community and and its Christian allies did a very important thing for all Americans by showing up in these numbers and not being and not be frightened away by some of the threats that were made about what might happen if you came to Washington this week. And there's a particular measure of nobility and courage and greatness to the Kufi folks. Jews obviously have an interest in combating Jew hatred. It's a self-interested objective. But when Kufi brings out thousands of young Christians, they... Unless they were college kids, it seemed to me. Most of them were college kids. Thousands from around the country. These weren't suburban Maryland or Virginia kids, although I'm sure there were some. These were kids that took off school to come to Washington hundreds, perhaps thousands of miles away to demonstrate for people not their own, for values that very much are their own. Because I think there's a recognition that Jews are the miner's canary for Western Judeo-Christian values. You know, back in the 19th century, coal miners in England, to determine whether or not a shaft was safe, would drop a canary down there, pull the canary up. If the canary was dead, that would be a pretty good indication that it wouldn't be safe for miners to go down there until it had been ventilated. And the principal characteristic of the society we live in today uh, is, is this eagerness to apologize for all the sins of our past and to self-flagellate, to say that there's really no repentance. But the irony, of course, is that our record, the Judeo-Christian record for atoning for our past sins, and we've got plenty, that's what makes us unique. That what makes That's what makes us different. While we have our own monsters, it was our value system that gave us the strength, gave us the character and the courage to slay our own monsters. Today, when we make fetishes out of our past wrongs and our past sins, it adds this, 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 this benefit, this convenient benefit of excusing us from doing anything about our sins today, like self-hatred, self-loathing, the desire to destroy uh, all of our institutions, to knock down in America a peg or two, to tolerate Jew-hating, uh, uh, exterminationist terror supporters in the United States Congress. We've never seen anything like this in our history before. It's terribly, terribly dangerous. And I think what we saw Tuesday, maybe, possibly, is the beginning of a pushback. Well, I hope so, Tom. I mean, because there's some difficult days ahead. And 
And we know that nothing that happened this week, unfortunately, is changing what's going on in the classrooms of America. And we can pretty well guess that that's what's going on in the classrooms is not just on our university campuses, because just like we discovered that the anti-American history that uh, we knew was dominating uh, the faculties of many of the finest universities in the country had seeped down into the high schools and into junior high schools and in some elementary schools even, uh, I think the same uh, anti-Western civilization, anti-Judeo-Christian civilization, the demonizing of Israelis and Americans as colonizers that uh, uh, stamped out the lives of indigenous people, that that's going on in our universities, our high schools, and probably even earlier grades. And so it means that every day that another student spends in the classrooms and every day we have open borders bringing in people from around the world that accept that narrative of uh, America as a place that uh, oppresses and all the rest, but yet they want to come here for whatever reason, uh, is a day where America becomes weaker. We're more likely to be a a country that becomes more anti-Semitic because we're bringing in people uh, that have these views and we're graduating young Americans that have these views. Tom, of all the images of the last couple of weeks that has been the most uh, disturbing and depressing to me, it is the multiple videos in almost every American city, on every American campus, of people proudly, boldly, uh, you know, if somebody catches them on camera, they they give that person the finger, Uh tearing down posters that merely have a picture of an Israeli civilian that has been kidnapped and dragged as a hostage back into Ghana. And, and this, these posters are being torn down everywhere they exist. That is a level of indoctrination and hatred that it, it's hard to get one's arms around. It would be, well, in some ways, like, uh, you, you know, I remember – after 9-11, uh, a lot of people in New York put up photos of their loved ones, you know, because th- there was still hope, you know, that maybe somebody was in a hospital somewhere and wasn't able to call home or uh, maybe somebody would still be rescued or whatever. And so, and people coming along and, and tearing down the, the pictures of these Americans that were missing after the horrible events of 9-11. Well, this is exactly the same thing. And it's, it's, uh, it's atrocious. And, and, you know, by and large, after 9-11, there was a universal reaction, except in certain neighborhoods uh, in the West Bank, there was a universal reaction around the world that 9-11 was terrible and that people needed to unite around America. Countries lowered their flags. Israel lowered their flag. There were condolences sent, uh, all all kinds of things. I I ran into a Democrat member of Congress uh, at a deli later that day, and he said, Gary, this is going to change everything. We're united now. You know, we could, this is evil. We got to stand up to blah, 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 blah. And that lasted for at least a year, maybe two years. 
after what happened to Israel on October 7th, it didn't last one minute. I mean, there was immediately attacks blaming Israel for murderers coming into their country and killing civilians. And there was ambivalence in Congress and and there was vicious anti-Semitism in multiple parts of American society. So uh, I, we both knew we've been declining, but I, I'm not sure even we realized how bad the decline has been. You, you know, this will be a um, this will be a first on the Bower and Rose show. John Fetterman, the mentally challenged senator from Pennsylvania, did something that I thought was so courageous and so morally his the walls of his office are covered uh, floor to ceiling with posters of the 240 Israeli and foreign nationals uh, being held hostage in Israel. When asked why those posters weren't put on the outside of the office, he was told that the GAO, which is the or what's it called? The general accounting governor County. Yeah. The, the, uh, uh, the bureaucracy that manages federal real estate that they couldn't protect them from being ripped down. So here you've got this far left Democrat who has done something extraordinary. You've got this Congressman from New York, Richie Torres, who you and I wouldn't agree with him on the time of day. I mean, he's a far left I don't want to call him a, a, a Marxist, he's, he's, but he's a far left uh, congressman. And he has been so fully throated supportive of Israel and its war against Hamas. You, you know, it's it's heartening to see. I don't know that we would have seen this before. I don't know that um, the fissure in the Democrat Party, which... Uh, all the political wags in Washington and elsewhere are talking about obsessively, understandably, because of this break in the party. Um, the 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 here's the here's the problem. You've got a generation of Democrats now that lead the party, the gerontocracy, that have yes. typically been pro-Israel. Biden, Schumer, Steny Hoyer, Nancy Pelosi. You go a generation down or two generations down, and it's a very, very different story, a completely different story, because all the talk I've done a, a, a bunch of media in the past uh, couple of weeks for foreign broadcasters about the Israel situation. And one of the things that the Israeli government's talking about is not simply the need to destroy Hamas completely, but the real challenge is going to be the de-radicalization of Gaza, not simply the de-Hamasization of Gaza, but the de And that's got to start, must start in the schools. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, that's going to take decades. They teach their kids these horrible, awful things. And then I'm thinking, you know what, Gary, we got to do the same thing here because we've had two generations now that have uh, been taught as some almost a religious totem, a religious principle uh, of a moral inversion in which those people 
doing wrong things, even if they're horrible, murderous, barbaric things, are excused or defended if they belong to uh, a class that the elite establishment has determined to be a minority group or a victim group, while those at the receiving end, those uh, whose uh, uh, are, are those who are having great, great wrongs um, set upon them, like these Israeli civilians in southern Israel. They're blamed for being the victims because they belong to the oppressive majority. So what's happened is we've had this complete moral inversion where the aggressor turns into the victim, the victim turns in to the aggressor. You know, Hitler had, um, he had this famous statement in 1939 that uh, our enemies are, are, are small worms. And he said that in 1939, and he was right in the extent that uh, back then, all of his enemies or per- perceived enemies were doing everything they could to appease Hitler, to accommodate his his every wish. Today, we've got this political class and the media. We've got to get into the media at some point, Gary, because it's just been unbelievable, that will yeah. prostrate itself before this this monstrous collection of, of, of terror supporters that you know, is barely willing to acknowledge in any appeasement we offer them before they raise their demands. Um, A civilization that feels guilty about everything and responsible for everything is not going to have the energy nor the wherewithal to defend itself when it's threatened. And the threat might not be at our front door right now today, Gary, but it's, it's on the way. Oh, there's no question about it, Tom. And, and uh, you know, it's actually a constant theme of our podcasts. Uh, it's not just something that we talk about when we're talking about, quote, unquote, a foreign policy issue or whatever. Uh, you know, we're always asking the question one way or another, um, is America and the West or Judeo-Christian civilization – uh, are we strong enough and do we understand enough and still believe the founding principles of this great civilization uh, firmly enough and strongly enough that we're, we're willing to do the sacrificial things necessary to uh, pass it on to another generation, just as previous generations have sacrificed greatly to pass it on to us. And the, the jury is out. I'm afraid the jury is out. I mean, and there's, I, I, you know, I, I don't want to ruin this moment of this week and the, the wonderful demonstration, but uh, um, the, the, there's just so many signs that we are in deep, deep trouble. And, and Tom, as a Christian, I'm mortified and heartbroken that at a moment like this, when there's so many signs of uh, Judeo-Christian civilization being in jeopardy, uh, that uh, much of the Christian church in the United States is going woke. I mean, we've got these young pastors in some of these churches that think that the way to get people's butts back in the pews is, is to sound like National Public Radio on Sunday. And you're Instead not, of, and you're uh, not talking uh, about mainline. Yeah, Pro- you're not talking about God. mainline Protestant churches. You're talking about 
evangelical churches. Yes, absolutely. Um, so I, I, I look at um, I look at all the problems facing America, uh, racial discord, the breakdown of the family, rampant crime, uh, corruption at every level, economic corruption, uh, uh, corruption in, in our political institutions and so forth. And I can't think of any of those problems that can possibly be solved without the teachings of the Torah and the New Testament. They're all there. And yet that is the one thing we're supposed to not bring up in the conversation. Why do children, minority children in many cases, arrive at uh, a kindergarten or first grade already significantly behind uh, their classmates? Well, there's all kinds of reasons. I mean, poverty uh, does end up uh, hurting uh, families and and so forth. But one of the reasons is that so many of the children uh, don't have a father in the home. And, and so the the struggling single mother is doing everything she can to get enough money to to put food on the table and keep the kids safe and so forth. So it's very unlikely that that child is going to have anybody reading to them. And having a parent that reads to you at night, that prays with you before you go to sleep, uh, a father figure that is teaching you, if you're a, a young boy, you know, about how a man is supposed to act. If you're missing those things, a classroom full of children that are missing those things is going to be an, a, an educational challenge, no matter what culture you're in. And yet, that problem in America is getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And virtually no one in our political system is willing to talk about it. There's, it's just No, I, I was just going to say there's no society in history that I'm aware of. None. Where uh, no society, culture, civilization that's ever been built on a mother child only relationship none that i'm aware of charles murray's great book coming apart it's probably 10 years old now every major social pathology of our time from crime to gangs to drugs to alcohol abuse to uh, teenage dropouts scholastic failure teen pregnancies suicide Domestic violence against women especially correlates more strongly to fatherlessness than any other single factor. And you and I have talked about this until we're blue in the face. That's the reason the, the prevalence of single parent households is by far the greatest social issue of our time. It supersedes Everything else supersedes all the other challenges that we face, and it's the predominant driver and of, of each and every one of those challenges, and perhaps because it's so overwhelmingly uh, diminishes everything else, that's the one thing we're not allowed to talk about. Yeah, it, it's amazing, and it's a sign of, of what's happening in our uh, our culture, you know, it's, I mean, in its own way, it's like living in the 1850s in America and uh, the whole political establishment in the country saying, uh, hey, look, let's have a big debate on 
whether tariffs are too high and uh, uh, westward expansion and so forth. But uh, let, let's uh, let's not get into that uh, slavery issue because, man, that is divisive. And uh, what is what's to be gained wallowing in that? Let's just put that off to the side. Well, what? That is probably the most important thing of all. So, yeah, it's it's uh, it's pretty amazing, Tom. You know, a little earlier you were um, graciously um, uh, praising Christians United for Israel. And there was nothing and, there was nothing gracious about it. It's the it's the truth. Well, th- thank you. Um, I, and uh, and this, you know, well-established Christian uh, Jewish alliance in the United States, which I think is one of the most exciting things that's happened in, in recent decades. KUFI, as we call the organization, uh, we have chapters on university campuses of uh, Christians United for Israel on campus. And uh, there's another group that has chapters on camps on campuses, and that's this group. Uh, what what is it? Uh, Students for Justice, Justice in, in Palestine. Yes, that's right. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Well, th- they are slobs. I mean, just <laughs> Justice in Palestine have nothing to do with justice. They they are anti semites. They are some of the worst abusers on the campus of Jewish students. They've used intimidation. They've done all sorts of things. Universities have said, well, we don't agree with everything they do or say, but uh, in this campus, uh, you're, you have a right to form a club. And, uh, and they, they came to us, applied through the normal process, and uh, they, they have a club. Well, every campus Christians United for Israel is on has been a battle to be recognized by the school administration. The first battle we have is that we have a very difficult time finding one single professor will be the uh, the the uh, faculty advisor to the group, which on many campuses that's that's what you need. Now just think about that. Really, you nobody on this you know there's 800 professors on this campus and not one of you wants to be the faculty advisor for a group of jewish kids or christian kids that support the nation of israel and and speak up against anti-semitism anti-semitism are you serious i mean uh, tom on one campus they wrote their rules a little laxly uh, and and it didn't say you have to have a faculty advisor. It said you have to have somebody that works for the school to be your advisor or you can't have the club. And we ended up having a janitor uh, at the school <laughs> that was our advisor. But so you get a professor to be the advisor. And so uh, that in itself, the, the, the ease with which – Students for Justice in Palestine can be on several hundred campuses. United for Israel has to duke it out on almost every campus in, in order to uh, have this club. And and I, I have to tell you, Tom, it really pains me to say this. I don't think it's the situation now, but not that many years ago, sometimes it was hard for us to reach out to Jewish clubs well, on course. campus sure. and say, hey, we're on your side, guys. Because you know, you're pro-life. Yeah. You're pro-life. That's an inexcusable position to take for most. Here, I don't, I don't want sl- to smash uh, liberal Jewish groups, at least today, because they were great on Tuesday. But I did notice one thing. Pastor Hagee was there. He was the star of the show. But you know who I noticed was not there? 
I didn't. There were no. There were no representatives from the Presbyterian Church, from the United Church of Christ, from the United Methodist Church, from the Episcopal Church, from the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, which is an oddly named church considering it's very left wing. Not a single mainline Protestant figure was in attendance at that rally. Well, Tom, I mean, in all fairness to them, uh, most of those pastors were exhausted from the multiple anti-Israel rallies they've been doing <laughs> the last few days. <laughs> no, that is a great observation, uh, Tom. And, uh, it, and it, I, I, you know, I, I'm going to do an aside to the editor, uh, to our our uh, our guy that gets this all together for us. Uh, so don't anybody listen to this. Can is there any way you can figure out and make that sound like I was saying that instead of Tom? <laughs> uh, yeah, I wish the uh, I, I've gotten calls over the years from friends in Israel that will call me after they've written and uh, they after they've read an article in the Jewish media about some convention. Of uh, you know Presbyterian uh, mainline Presbyterian churches, and they'll pass for the gazillionth year in a row uh, their gazillion uh, anti-Israel proclamation. And I'll get these calls saying, "Gary, what's going on? I thought the Christians were for us." Yeah, well, we are, but not the Christians in these churches. You know, they can't even get the definition of marriage straight. They, you know, they, they think the Bible has nothing to say about the sanctity of life, you know. And, and on top of that, they don't really like America very much. So it would be very weird if they liked Israel. I, I mean, it's it, it's a terrible thing to say. And please, please, please don't take offense as a believing Christian. But that these churches um, have chosen to align themselves with extremist groups um in the US and in the Middle East who seek to delegitimize Israel as a Jewish state i think these churches have a role to play in contributing to the mainstreaming of the anti-semitism we're seeing today these these churches use their influence to focus attention on all the negative things about Israel and Believe me, Israel's got plenty of problems, but those are Israel's problems to deal with. In the meantime, we got our own problems, and these mainline left-wing Protestant churches are among our problems. No, no question about it. By the way, Tom, another one of your problems, and it's also one of America's problems, uh, Trump tried to do as much as he could about it when he was in office, and hopefully he'll get a chance to to do it again because Biden reversed it all. And that's all these international organizations, most notably the United Nations, but all the subsidiaries of the United Nations and even groups uh, that are international in the sense of like, for example, the European Union. Uh, these, these organizations are, and they seem to exist in order to restrain the United States and to kick the you-know-what out of Israel. And I, I noted with interest this week uh, that after four votes, uh, the United Nations General Assembly was able to pass uh, a, uh, a call for an immediate ceasefire and an end of hostilities by Israel in Gaza uh, because the suffering has to stop, as we all know. And, Tom, I couldn't help but think, I mean, look, uh, every life loss in a war is a tragedy. Uh, Not and I don't if it's know terrorists. Right, right. 
Uh, And you'll notice these figures never break down terrorists versus civilians. One quick thing, and I know I'm stepping on... well, I'm I'm stepping on your toes no, here, but okay, go on. but one point that everybody seems to miss, and the Israelis don't even bring this up. Do the math. The IDF, since the ground invasion began on the fourteenth of the twenty seventh of October, have conducted fourteen thousand sorties. Hamas releases figures that I don't for an instant believe that 11,000 people have been killed. Again, they don't break down terrorists versus innocent collateral uh, civilians. If my math is correct, Mr. Bauer, Israel's kill ratio per sortie is less than one. Has there ever been any army in the history of warfare that has a record like that. And the two assumptions one can derive are that Israeli bombers, they're horrible. They miss all their targets. Yeah, you guys can't shoot straight. Right. (laughs) Right. Or that they have been unbelievably professional and unbelievably successful in avoiding to the extent possible civilian casualties. Nobody makes it's 14,000 versus 11,000. It's these are numbers that I don't think have been matched in the annals of war. No, you, you, uh, you folks have set yet another, uh, world record. I mean, you can make an argument that you, you, you know, the, the nation of Israel deserves the Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> good good luck have, with that one. Yeah, the the UN should have a a, a big uh, seminar, you know, to where uh, Israeli IDF officers will come in and teach the rest of the world how to ra- wage war while keeping uh, casualties down as low as as these numbers are. Uh, that that's really a great uh, great point, Tom. But here you have the United Nations voting for a ceasefire, and um, I, I don't know what the exact figures are. You might have it at the to- on the top of your head. The war between Russia and Ukraine. I mean, the the the, the casualties are in the hundreds of thousands, seven hundred thousand. And I there hasn't been one vote. Seven yeah, there hasn't been one vote at the United thousand. Nations calling for a ceasefire. Quite the contrary. If you call for a ceasefire, yeah. Uh, you're a Putin apologist. Uh, you're a defeatist. You and and by the way, you and I are not not on the same page on Ukraine. I've uh, argued that w- we should certainly engage in some kind of armistice discussion, if only to prevent this stalemate from from killing tens, if not hundreds of thousands of others. And, you know, in these demonstrations, Gary, you know it. They don't give a damn about the Palestinians. They don't give a damn about other Muslims. 500,000 Muslims have been killed by other Muslims in Yemen since 2013. There have been no demonstrations. 600,000 Muslims in Syria killed by other Muslims in that barbaric, horrific civil war, no demonstrations, no statues destroyed, no members of Congress uh, out on a limb. This is it only matters when Muslims are going against Jews. That's all. These are anti-Israel, anti-Semitic, anti-Christian, anti-Western protests and demonstrations. There's uh, absolutely no question about it. And uh 
uh, and it's and it's true all around the world. I mean, the big march that took place recently in London, uh, the one place they made a beeline to is, I believe, the only monument in London that specifically is dedicated to the war dead of of England. The Cenotaph. Yeah. Yes. That that should be uh, a sacred place. And the police stood by watching as vermin climbed up on it, desecrated it. Uh, and, and Tom, that image goes around the world and, and the message it sends, uh, the same thing when our monuments in Washington are spray painted and, and so forth. It sends a message throughout the world that Western Civilization's day is over. We're, we're ripe for the picking uh, we're, we're marching to the graveyard and, uh, they're, they're willing to give us a little push to hurry it up so that, uh, all these other forces in the world from Marxism to radical Islam can take their rightful place, uh, in, uh, in calling the shots and running things. And I, I, I have to say with no fear of contradiction, Tom, that if the two great powers that are competing in the world down the road, our, our Marxism and radical Islam, uh, we will have officially entered a new dark age. I heard Douglas Murray say something that was absolutely profound. Everything that comes out of that guy's mouth is profound. When you bring in millions of immigrants from different cultures, you not only bring those people, but you bring those cultures with you. And his analogy, his point was, if India and Pakistan went to war today, in London, there would be civil war because there are millions of Indians and Pakistanis in London. So that war would be transplanted and transported onto the streets of London. When you bring in millions of people from traditions, from cultures, uh, with religions that, to be charitable at best, are uh, inimical to Western values, cannot coexist with Western values, and we make no demands of them to change those values to better reflect our own, you're creating a a multicultural nightmare that will... Uh, create mirror images of all the wars and all the hatreds and all the fratricide and all the suffering from all over the world. The very thing our country was created to prevent, created to avoid. John Winthrop, we're a week away from Thanksgiving on Plymouth Plantation, the, the very great first work of American literature. They came to these shores, not simply to escape persecution, but to build a godly kingdom. And while they thought their kingdom would be a kingdom of heaven, and of course, down on this world, it's kind of hard to do that. The ideal was there. The value was there. The virtue was there. These were these were Bible-driven people with Bible-driven values, and they created the template for the most noble, the most pluralist, the most tolerant, the most understanding and welcoming and freedom-loving 
society in the history of the world. And now we're bringing in millions of people. We, first of all, we don't know where they're from. But in terms of, of uh, immigration from uh, the Middle East, the Muslim world, not every Muslim is a Jew hater. Not every Muslim is an anti-Semite. But there are a disproportionate number who are. And if we deny that or try to sugarcoat that, we're not only fooling ourselves, but we are endangering ourselves. Uh, that that's exactly right, Tom. And, and by the way, folks, uh, you know Ronald Reagan in his farewell address expressed a deep uh, concern about whether our country was going to be in trouble because we were not passing on this history at the at the kitchen table of the way we did for many years, or neighbors that had been in our wars who would talk to children and be able to pass on to them what that war was about and why the sacrifice was necessary. And he specifically appealed in that farewell address, which was nationally televised to parents to pick up the cudgel, to pick up the, the, the baton here and, and don't let this go by assuming your children are going to learn the right things. And the Thanksgiving table uh, next week is a great opportunity to talk about those early um, arrivals in America, what they thought they were going to build, what the intention was, what the founders believed this place would be about. It's a perfect place to reflect back on uh, uh, empty chairs at the table of, of fathers or grandfathers or uncles that gave their lives in one of the multiple wars the United States had has found necessary to go to and to teach those children who might be on TikTok all the time or listening to some dopey uh, song being played somewhere or listening to a teacher off the rails and being told the exact opposite right under your noses. So it's important to to take this on, to do what as parents you, you are called to do, which is to raise up your children and guide them in the direction that, that you want them to go. Well, Tom, um, it's an extraordinary time. I, um, I, I hope that, that if any good can come out of all of this, that we'll see a, a continued quickening of the alliance of of, uh, of Christians and Jews around the world and of all people of goodwill and other faiths that are willing to stand for the dignity of of all mankind and for the idea that our liberty is not some gift from a government, but it is granted to us because we have been created uh, by a loving and good God who gives us dignity and value and worth. Amen. That's extremely well said, and I'm not even going to pretend to try and top it. Have a great weekend, everybody. God bless Bauer. God bless you. God bless everybody who listens to this show. Make sure that our blessings from God can be extended by getting friends, relatives, co-workers, enemies, tennis partners, pickleball partners, to oh, wait a minute. That's a bridge too far. I want no pickleball people no. <laughs> to sign up wherever you get your podcasts. Have a great week, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.